0: We shall now turn to the portion we read from the Psalm 90. We come to the beginning of the fourth book of Psalms. As we've mentioned it before, the uh, Jews had five books of Psalms. We have one book. They had it divided into five, as we've mentioned before, to correspond with the five books of Moses or the five books of the Pentateuch. We come here to the beginning of the fourth book and it opens with the prayer, a prayer of Moses the man of God. Moses is actually mentioned five times throughout the Old Testament as moses the man of god it was as though that was his full title and uh, that when moses was thought upon or was spoken of there was this recognition he was an outstanding man of god he lived for god he devoted his life to the service of god and here we have not the prayer of moses the man of god But a prayer of Moses, the man of God. And it should be obvious immediately upon reading these words that this is one of the characteristics of a man of God or indeed a woman of God. They pray. Uh, This is one of the prayers, a prayer. It is obvious then that Moses prayed often. And this is just one of those prayers that he prayed. And thus it is an exemplary prayer. And it is indeed exemplifying for us how a man of God will pray. How a woman of God will pray. And uh, you can see in the content of the psalm, There were certain things that were pressing upon the mind of the psalmist, in this case Moses. And uh, he has certain things that he brings before God because of the peculiar circumstances that he was aware of existing with himself. And undoubtedly with those that God called him to lead from Egypt into the land of promise, or at least to the borders of the land of promise. Now, the first thing that we may note about this prayer of the man of God is how such a one actually approaches God. Uh, We are clearly taught in the scriptures that man ought always to pray and not to faint. And because it is a requirement that we would pray often, perhaps we don't sufficiently think about our actual approach to God. Uh, We may utter words without even the consciousness. We are appearing in the presence of God. We were singing that from Psalm 139. And we were asking God as we were singing, we were asking God to search us, to see if there be any wicked way within us. We are not always aware of uh, the offenses that we are responsible for, for offending God. And the psalmist here, Moses, is very conscious of the need to be careful when he came into the presence of God, when he took it upon himself to address God. In the book of Ecclesiastes, I've referred to it on occasions, we have there uh, the wisdom of the preacher applied. And in verse 1 of Ecclesiastes 5, we read these words, Keep thy foot... When thou goest to the house of God, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. Now there are times when I'm sure we're all very much aware we feel an urgency there are pressing needs and matters that we feel we need God to deal with urgently and we might then be hastening uh, with our prayers to God and not uh, being careful enough to know who we're approaching let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything Before God. For God is in heaven and thou upon earth, therefore let thy words be few. Be not hasty when we're taking it upon ourselves as creatures of the dust to address God. And here's the man of God, Moses, and he's addressing God. So, what does he do? Notice the opening words of the psalm. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. What an amazing statement. How deeply, deeply spiritual. How Moses understood his relationship with God. And then he says in verse 2, Before the mountains were brought forth, ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, Even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. He's conscious God is eternal. He's conscious of the fact that he is himself but a creature of the dust. And he's approaching God as God himself understanding from everlasting to everlasting thou art God, and what am I? You'll notice in the psalm from verse 9 onwards, he's constantly speaking of our days, our years, the days of our years. In contrast to who God is, he says that our years, our days, are so short A thousand years is as a day with God and a year with men is like sometimes a millennium with God. God is not in any way confined by time. Time does not control the actions of God. It does control so many of our actions, but not with God time does not control God he works out his purposes in his own time and we have to be aware of that and verse 4 here Moses says a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past it's passed so swiftly it's as nothing it's as though it hardly even existed it's It's as yesterday when it has passed. And that's what he says is the case with God. A thousand years with us is a long time. But with God it is nothing. He says uh, it is as a watch in the night. In the Old Testament times, the times of the psalmist, the Hebrews had three watches. The night was divided up into three watches. In the New Testament in the times of the Romans the night was divided up into four watches but in uh, uh, the days of Moses a a, a night was divided up into three separate watches and this is what uh, here Moses says a thousand years is just like one of the watches and the night, just like a few hours it's nothing And yet, Moses is coming before God and he says in verse 9, All our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told, or if you have a margin in your Bible, you might see it is as a sigh. You know uh, how brief a sigh is. Even children understand the sigh is just a few seconds. And this is how Moses is approaching God. He is conscious and he's expressing it of the vast difference and distance between himself and God. He's coming before God, recognizing the majesty and the glory, the omnipotence. Uh, Of the God that he's addressing, that he takes upon himself to address, and sometimes you will hear men when they're uh, addressing God in prayer. I don't hear it so much now. I used to hear it. Some of the older men are passed away from the scene of time. They'd often be addressing God as the Almighty. They recognized He was the Almighty so far above and beyond them and yet what a privilege to be able to draw near to such a God, to have access. The man of God knows however great God is, he has access to him. He can come through Jesus Christ to such a God. The distance is as nothing. In fact, Look at what the psalmist says. We said the opening words. What a statement. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Clearly, God doesn't change. From one generation to the other, he is the same. And if Moses, the man of God, needed an understanding of who God is when he was approaching to him. God is the same in all generations. And I have heard uh, men addressing God and supposedly praying most irreverently, but here's what this the Samus Moses in this case understood. God doesn't change from one generation to the other. But this is the important point that he makes. Thou hast been our dwelling place. Now we all know what a dwelling place is. It's where we dwell. It's our home. It's where we can Uh, find a shelter, it's where we can enjoy family and communion with the other members of the family and so on. Uh, Here's what Moses is saying, thou hast been our dwelling place. It's as though he's saying we've been able to get so close to God, so near to God, we've as it were, penetrated right into the very heart of God. And that's what Moses is seeking to do here. He's seeking to reach the heart of God. And when we pray, that's what we should be seeking to do. Not just addressing words into the air in the hope they reach heaven, but actually seeking to touch, to reach with our prayers the very heart of God, to penetrate into God, as it were. And this is what Moses says, all down through the generations, God has been our dwelling place. We have found shelter in him. We have found protection in him. We have found peace with him. God has been Our dwelling, please. And he says, before the mountains were brought forth. God existed from everlasting to everlasting. Now, when then he speaks of God with a knowledge of who God is, and then he understands who he is in the sight of God, only then is he able to bring his petitions to God. There are a number of petitions that he makes and presents before God in this psalm. But they are the petitions of a frail creature. As we said, he stresses our years, our days, our years. And as he speaks of men, he says in verse 3 that God turns man to destruction or to dust he crushes them to dust and says return ye children of men and however great and mighty men are they can't resist when God says return they return and then in the teaching of the saviour himself he speaks of the rich farmer and he his ground brought forth plentifully his barns were full and he was saying to his soul, thou hast much goods let up for many years. Take thine ease and enjoy it all. But God said that night, return. And he had to return. He had to leave it all behind. He had his soul returned unto God who gave it. His body would return to the dust from whence it came. But his spirit and his soul would no longer be inhabiting that body. His spirit had left it. His soul would return unto God who gave it. And this is what Moses understands. And the reason is because he has witnessed death continually day after day, week after week. Month after month as they journeyed through the wilderness because of the rebellion and the disobedience of the children of Israel, Moses was a witness to the mortality of men, and he says in verse five, thou carriest them away as with a flood, and that was happening in forty years of it. In Hebrews we read, we see they could not enter in because of unbelief they wouldn't trust God they wouldn't believe God so they had to wander until a whole generation had been carried away like us with a flood and Moses has had to endure this he's had to witness it and it has not been pleasant for him and he says here in verse seven, we are consumed by thine anger and by thy wrath are we troubled. When we go back to the book of Numbers, we have the incidents recorded and they are very solemn. In Numbers chapter thirteen and fourteen we have the spies been sent into the land to search it out before they would uh, go into it under the leadership of Joshua. And we're told in chapter 13 of Numbers that these spies, when they went in, they came back to report to Moses and Aaron and to the congregation. And they said, verse 27, we came unto the land where thou sentest us and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. It is as God said it was. God told, it, told us it would be a land flowing with milk and honey, and it, it certainly is. And God's word was reliable. But what an awful word it is in verse 28. Nevertheless, that is a terrible word. Nevertheless, at least in this context, yes, we believe what God said. It's true. Nevertheless, there's something else. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there and so on. How many times have we maybe treated God's word like that? We come across his truth. We say, isn't that wonderful? That's really good. That's what God's saying. That's what God's promising. And then we say, nevertheless. And we bring our unbelief. And we start interpreting God's word, not by faith, but in unbelief. And we say to God, nevertheless, uh, I see this, and nevertheless, I see that. And nevertheless, uh, you know, I have this problem, and I have that problem. And that's what they were doing. Caleb, still the people, and Joshua and Caleb tried to encourage the people to go and take the land as God had promised to give it to them. And the result was that the people were ready to stone them. They were so angry with them. Their unbelief so overcome them that they were saying, verse 31, the men that went up with him said, we be not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. Nevertheless, yes, God's word was true. God's word was reliable, but there's a problem. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel. And uh, then they said, We saw giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. And there's no mention of God. Nevertheless, we have to look at ourselves. We have to measure everything in light of our strength. And whatever God says, what we think really matters. How often our thinking clashes with God's word. We elevate our thinking above the revelation of God. And that's what they did. And all the congregation lifted up their voice, chapter 14, and the people wept that night. Moses would never forget this occasion. He could not forget it because of the consequences. And when we come to Psalm 90, I believe Moses is having to deal with the consequences of these events. And he knows that death is rampant. The Israelites are dying year after year, 40 years of it, burying the dead because of this event, because of their unbelief. I fear that we do not ourselves sometimes. We do not appreciate how damaging unbelief can be. How destructive it can be when we question God, when we don't rely upon him, and when we start interpreting his word in light of who we are, or what we can do, or what we feel we can't do, instead of believing what God can do. And we're told in verse 2 of Numbers 14, And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, listen to this, would God, would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness, Notice who they're drawing into it now. Would God. He'd never brought us out of Egypt. If God hadn't brought us out of Egypt, we wouldn't be in this dilemma. We wouldn't be faced with these giants and these problems in this land. Would God he'd left us alone. Would God we'd died in the wilderness. But you see they were saying this to Moses and Aaron But when we go over further into the chapter What happens The Lord now speaks They've been speaking, they've been murmuring against Moses And against Aaron And they've been saying to them, you imagine Moses How he must have felt After he had suffered so much at the hands of Pharaoh and he led them out he used his rod under the direction of God to get them through the Red Sea to bring them across uh, into safety and now this is what they're doing and Moses was the meekest man in all the earth we're told and yet this must have been stinging and must have been painful and Uh, uh, and extremely hurtful after all I've done this is all you have to say now but listen verse 26 and the Lord speak unto Moses and unto Aaron saying how long shall I bear with this evil congregation which murmur against me You remember whenever Saul of Tarsus, when the Savior met him, and he said, why persecutest thou me? What was Saul of Tarsus doing? He was persecuting the church, he was persecuting the people of God, the early Christians, and what did Christ say? You're actually persecuting me. You don't touch my people without touching me. Every time you strike at one of my uh, saints, you strike at me. And here's what God says to this people. It's not Moses and Aaron you've been murmuring against. It's me. How long shall I bear with this evil congregation which murmur against me? I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel Which they murmur against me. And then this is so solemn. Say unto them. Moses you tell them this. As truly as I live saith the Lord. As ye have spoken in mine ears. So will I do. To you. What were they saying? Would God we'd died in the wilderness. Oh well, God says that's okay then. You can die in the wilderness. That's what you want. That's what you'd rather have. Well then you can die in the wilderness. I've listened to you. You see how careful we must ever be. We can say things in haste and not be aware of the consequences God heard them speaking this way to Moses and Aaron. He heard them murmuring against his promises, and they said, nevertheless, yes, God's word's true, but there's other things that we have to consider. And they murmured, and God said, you weren't murmuring against Moses. You weren't murmuring against Aaron. You were murmuring against me. And he said, if this is what you want then, that's what you will have. And you will die in the wilderness. And you will perish in the wilderness, if that's what you want. Now, when we come to Psalm 90, it would appear that this is what Moses is living with. And he says in verse 7 here, Psalm 90. We are consumed by thine anger, and by thy wrath are we troubled. People will be telling us, well, the God of the Old Testament is different to the God of the New Testament. Where they get that from is anyone's guess, but the God of all the generations here (coughs) Moses said, God doesn't change from one generation to the other. And we should learn then to be mighty careful what we say in God's presence and what we claim and how we treat his promises and how we treat his word. And here's Moses then saying in verse 8, Thou hast set our iniquities before thee. Moses always identified himself with the people. He mediated, he he prayed for them, (coughs) he claimed them as the people of God. And Moses here is saying, Our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. It is just... One long funeral, day after day, week after week, month after month. And in verse 10, and sometimes we don't always think of these words as we should in the context. Verse 10. The days of our years are three score years and ten. And you see, Moses is certainly speaking of a period of time. It was a shortened period of time, you know, when we go back to the patriarchs, the long lives they lived. But after the flood, of course, man's age was reduced. And that is the case here. God, as it were, has set a limit to the time when mortal man will live upon this earth. And Moses was aware of this. The days of our years are threescore years and ten. I used to hear the old men and old godly women, and when you would speak to them of age, they would sometimes say, I'm living in borrowed time. Because they were more than 70 years or three score years and 10. And they recognized God has preserved me beyond that span. I'm living in borrowed time. And this is how Moses sees it. If uh, by strength they be four score years. Yet is their strength, labor and sorrow for it is soon cut off. And we fly away we take a departure we leave this world behind and Moses lived constantly in the presence of death and it had an effect upon him so much so that it caused him to pray death made Moses pray when we read here a prayer of Moses the man of God you can see that his own mortality and the mortality of the children of Israel dying because of their disobedience and the rebellion against God. It's put Moses to pray. And what is he praying? For example, in verse uh, 12, so teach us to number our days. Teach us to measure our days. Now, he has already said, the days of our years are three score years and ten. Why now would he be saying, so teach us to number our days, if God has already numbered them? What he's praying for is for wisdom to number our days to see that they're actually passing and to make proper use of them. Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. We do not know what age Moses was when he was writing this psalm or this prayer was being recorded. But Moses, if he knows, well, three score years and ten sum up a life span, what age am I now? And beyond that, how many years have I left? What time I've left? How ought I to use it? How should I uh, seek to use my time? He prays for wisdom. Here, apply our hearts unto wisdom, or our minds, as it means. Apply our minds. Think about our time think about what we should be doing with it think of how swiftly it is going to pass think of how short a time of our lives is still remaining and uh, it's obvious in the context that Moses wants wisdom to be ready for death when it comes he wants to be using his time To ensure that he's ready to meet God. That he is in a state of grace. That his relationship with God is as it should be. It is one of the saddest things. And I've had the experience. And it is an awful experience. People, old people, ours from the end of their life. I remember visiting an old lady. Her son asked me to visit her in hospital. He said, Mr. Hutton, she doesn't like the gospel. I don't know how she'll receive you. She talked very little to me, but when I tried to ask her about her soul, she refused even to speak, and she was only ours from death and from eternity, and she was as hard, as hard as granite and how sad it is to see people on the verge of eternity rebelling against God people seem to think and young people seem to sometimes get the idea in their heads Ah, when you get old uh, then you'll be thinking about death and you'll be thinking about judgment and you'll be thinking about meeting God but we're young and we're not intending to die tomorrow or next week or even next month. What we have to understand is this. God has an accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. And Moses here was conscious that death was a reality. And he's praying here, teach us To be wise, to make sure, be wise, to make sure we're ready to meet God because we're going to meet God. But then also, he is praying for wisdom to apply our hearts and our minds unto wisdom so that we might use our days and our years appropriately that we might have our priorities right. I wonder how many on the day when we appear before God and the books are opened and we see our lives laid out before us, will we then regret that we wasted so much time? Will we then regret that we served the Lord so little? The psalmist you see is conscious of the fact he's mortal I'm going to die soon I'm going to leave this world and I'm going to leave time behind it time will have gone there'll be no more time there'll be no more hours no more weeks no no more years it'll be gone will I have done for God what I should have done will I have used the time that God has ordained to me because earlier in the psalm He says, thou turnest man to destruction and sayest, return. And when will God say, return? Not one of us here tonight know. Not one of us here, including myself, know when God is going to say to each one of us, return. And we will not be able to hold back. And whatever is undone will be remaining undone. Whatever has been neglected will remain neglected. The time that has been wasted will remain wasted. This is one of the prayers, one of the petitions of the psalmist. But also, he wants wisdom to apply his heart unto wisdom because he recognizes that the days that God has given him are not his own. He's depending on God to give them. And what for? That he might influence others. You will see that the concern of the psalmist at the end of the psalm, in verse 16, he prays, Let thy work appear unto thy servants, And thy glory unto their children. He's praying for the future generation. He wants God to come and visit his generation. But he wants the rising generation to see the glory of God. He has seen it. The children of Israel have seen it. Even those that are perishing in the wilderness have seen it. But he wants the future generation to see it as well. And this is what he prays in verse 13. Return, O Lord. How long? He has been just witnessing the evidence of God's anger and God's judgment upon the rebellious children of Israel. But he longs for God to return, to be at peace with his people. Return, O Lord. As I was Reading through this Psalm, when you come to the concluding verses, I couldn't help but think how appropriate they really are, even in our own local situation. Satisfy us early, verse 14, with thy mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us, and the years wherein we have seen evil. I don't think anyone has any doubt that that has been the experience of the congregation. But then look how he prays now. Let thy work appear unto thy servants, and thy glory unto their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. And establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands establish thou it. What an amazing prayer is that of the uh, psalmist, the man of God Moses. He is living, witnessing God's uh, anger and wrath. Against the rebellious Israelites, but he knows that will come to an end. And so he turns to God and he wants the years of grief and disappointment and destruction, he wants them now to be replaced. He wants God to come back and visit them and restore the joy of his people and he wants God's blessing upon their neighbors, what a wonderful prayer it is, if we could pray it by faith, let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. Isn't that the beauty that we would really want people to see? Wouldn't we want the people of Grafton to see the beauty of the Lord upon his people? The beauty of the Lord in our lives. The beauty of his grace. The beauty of his glory. And the prayer is to establish the work of our hands. The devil will hinder and he will hamper. And we feel at times, it's like being in a treadmill. We're making no progress. We're going nowhere. The devil is constantly keeping us. Uh, taken up with so many problems and difficulties and here's Moses praying establish the work of our hands prosperous yet bless the work yet establish it for thy glory Uh, and this is a prayer that I believe if we are godly we can pray we might have many other prayers as Moses surely would have had But this is a prayer that seems to me to be very fitting, even in our circumstances. But we shall leave it there. May the Lord bless to us these uh, remarks.